welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Ashlyn Kazarian. Today we're going to dive into a landmark case for the internet, the LabMD case. At the issue is how much leeway the FTC will have in regulating the internet from data security to product design to any number of other emerging issues. Joining me is Tech Freedom's president, Baron Soka. Baron, thank you for coming. Thanks for having me. And our legal fellow, Graham Owens. Graham, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. All right, gentlemen, so why don't you tell our listeners what this case is about? What's the background? So essentially, since 2002, absent any sort of statutory framework um, of any comprehensive nature over data security and privacy practices at companies, the FTC has taken over policing companies' practices in that area. And since that time, the FTC's brought about 60 to 70 enforcement actions against companies for unfair or deceptive business uh, data security and privacy practices. Yet only two of those have actually ever made it to court. And what's well, it's 60 to 70 data security plus a bunch of other privacy cases and then some mixed cases. The two that actually made it to court, the first one was uh, Wyndham Worldwide Incorporated, it's a hotel chain, a Fortune 500 company, the Mintz Resources. They're not exactly what we call a sympathetic uh, defendant. And uh, in that case, you know, they failed to take really even the most basic precautions uh, to protecting the consumer's data. And so that, that case uh, went through um, and ultimately the Wyndham, as unsympathetic, ultimately decided to settle. So essentially that leaves us with only the case before us, which was uh, LabMD, which... And, and critically, Wyndham settled very early on in their appellate litigation. Wyndham had spent $5 million just responding to the FTC's discovery request. That, that gives you a sense of how expensive just the investigation is. And despite all of that, Wyndham cared enough about the principle at stake that they were willing to take the issue to court. They moved to dismiss the FTC's complaint that went up to the Third Circuit, and they lost on that preliminary motion, and then they settled. And then, I think it was two weeks later, the administrative law judge in this case, the LabMD case, blocked the commission's complaint. In other words, it was timed. The commission pressured Wyndham to settle so that Wyndham would, would settle before this loss came out that the commission staff knew was coming in the LabMD case. And we know that Wyndham's lawyers were pretty pissed about this because they later represented LabMD for free. <laughs> Allegedly. Right. So uh, and, and there's a key point there talking about the expense of these types of litigation because uh, bringing us now to LabMD, which unlike Wyndham, this Fortune 500 company, was a company, a medical testing company of about 20 employees in Georgia. They had vastly less resources. And essentially, the FTC decided to bring a complaint after blackmail may be a strong word, but this company, Traversa, had come to LabMD and they do sort of data security consulting and had found a set of uh, consumer data that was on LimeWire, you know, peer-to-peer -peer sharing network. And it hadn't actually gone out or been hacked or taken by anybody. It was just at this point found to be susceptible to hacking. So LabMD chose not to hire Taversa, which triggered this whole set of events, which leads us now uh, where Taversa retaliated, went to the FTC and sent a letter, um, basically making them aware that this consumer data was not hacked, but available to be hacked and, and susceptible to it. And so uh, the FTC then started the, the process of bringing the action that leads us to where we are now. And, and it's really critical to note here that 
Tyversa's shakedown racket was so apparent, the fact that they were using the FTC as the, the tool to get companies like LabMD to, to cough up money. We're talking hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, to hire them to, re, quote, remediate security vulnerabilities. This was so obvious at the time that in the early stages of this litigation, when the commission was trying to get discovery from LabMD, and LabMD moved to quash one of the administrative subpoenas they had gotten from the FTC. This went to the full commission, and Commissioner Rush, who was the only Republican on the commission at the time, dissented. This is very unusual. I don't know of any case like this. And he said, um, I am very concerned that the commission is being used here as part of a shakedown racket, and we should be very, very concerned about the appearance, even the mere appearance, of impropriety. We shouldn't rely upon Tyversa's evidence. In other words, he was saying the commission should have dropped this case. Now, that was back in 2012. This whole thing started in 2008. And here we are six years later, and uh, effectively, even the Democrats insisted on continuing this case, and effectively it now may have brought their legal house of cards, at least in part, crashing down. Just so our listeners put a face to this case, what happened to LabMD, the company? Well, they went out of business yep. uh, years ago. They couldn't get uh, it reinsurance, and that was it. They closed their doors. However, the corporation continued and was able, therefore, to continue the litigation. And Mike Doherty, the entrepreneur who started the company, and again, this is a company of 20, 25 employees, he just had the temerity and cared enough about the principle at stake here to keep fighting even when before him, as Graham noted, 60, 70 companies, some of the biggest companies in America had caved. Wyndham Hotels had caved. He kept going, Mike Doherty did, and in part it's because he had some insurance money, but he also had help. The uh, public interest law firm Cause of Action represented him. We at Tech Freedom filed an amicus brief before the commission, and then again at the 11th Circuit. So this attracted some interest from people who cared about the principle at stake here. So let's talk a little bit more about the principles at stake in the case itself. What exactly um, unraveled at the 11th Circuit? Well, it, first of all, when you read the decision, it's it's worth noting that the commission, as I always do when I talk about the FTC, took the time to, to set the stage, to explain the commission's history. And the most important thing you need to know about it, and I'm sure everyone who's listened to our episodes before about the FTC will remember, the commission went through a, a rulemaking spree in the 1970s where they tried to regulate everything from the advertising of sugared cereals to children, which they were going to ban, to funeral home practices, et cetera. So the Democratic Congress in 1980 and President Carter clipped the agency's wings. They both instituted some procedural safeguards about rulemaking and also required the agency to constrain its definition of unfairness. And that meant requiring that the commission show that there was harm. And if the commission was going to rely on public policy, which is what they've been doing in the 70s, they've been saying, yeah, we know what public policy is. We'll be the judge of that. And that effectively made them what was called at the time a second national legislature. They were essentially doing Congress's job. That history is important because it explains where we are today, that the commission has rulemaking powers that it's chosen not to use because it's it was intentionally made to be difficult, and at the same time that there are these substantive constraints upon unfairness that the commission has essentially ignored. They've never actually really been called to account in their use of unfairness since 1980, because basically until the data security cases that started in about 2002, and, and even a little bit later, they didn't really use it. It was the internet that that really made the commission start um, getting back into this business that it was in the 1970s. And this this decision effectively is, in a way, is the first major 
check upon the agency's uh, uh, use of this authority since that Democratic Congress in 1980 clipped its wings. Not just the only check, really, it's the only guidance from a court or interpretation of what exactly their authority is. I mean, there, there hasn't been, because Wyndham settled, because every other case has ended in a consent decree, this is the only time that we've had a judge weigh in on what exactly the FTC's role is, what their authority is, and, and what they need to do in bringing these actions. And before we go into that more, what are the substantive questions that the court didn't address? Well, I'm glad you started there because I, I look at this as uh, having a few different component parts. So there's the issue of uh, causation. That's the issue that the, uh, the, the ALJ's decision, the administrative law judge, a judge focused on. He said that the FTC uh, staff had failed to establish that LabMD's practices actually caused the alleged injury at issue, whatever that was. So that's one lens through which you can look at this because causation is one of the elements in the 1980 unfairness policy statement as was codified in 1994 into Section 5N of the Act. Another way you can look at this is the constitutional concept of uh, fair notice, telling people what the law requires. The court didn't explicitly address that, nor did it actually say anything about causation, but it did talk about something that is indirectly related to, to both of those things. Uh, and, and I'll explain that, but it, 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 it's essentially the concept of specificity, that the commission must be specific in both what it charges as a violation of the act, and then in the relief that it gets, the thing that it says that companies have to do after they've been found guilty. In a nutshell, the commission needs to be specific, and you can see that that's related to notice. It may or may not be related to causation, and those are the questions that are gonna be asked after this decision. And the court also didn't say, right, what type of consumer injury will give a rise to unfairness under no, Section 5? Not a word. And you got to understand, though, right? So they said that there wasn't a specificity in this case, and that's where they focused. And if there wasn't enough specificity, I think the court understandably held back from going into what causation might be because they had they didn't have the specificity. They didn't have the details. The, the complaint itself never alleged enough or was not detailed enough for the court to make that like a, a knowledgeable decision in that regard. So I think it's understandable that they didn't go that far, not having any information before them. Well, and, and moreover, courts as a general matter, when they've decided a case on one grounds, if those grounds are adequate, anything else they say is what we lawyers call dicta. It's not binding. And properly speaking, the court shouldn't engage in it. So it's really not surprising that having chosen this particular form of, of, uh, of legal reasoning to reach their decision, that the decision is limited in that respect. And it leads to future decisions to resolve those other questions. Well, despite its failure to address these questions, the decision still has an effect for those issues and the agency's overall approach um, to data security. So what did the court talk about? Yeah, so bear with me here, because this is a little tedious. Um, but actually, it's I, I found it fascinating, and I, I'd never thought about this before. I don't think most people have. I think this is actually going to be a very important decision, because essentially, the court walks through how the agency is supposed to bring enforcement actions in the first instance, and then later, when someone is, is held to have violated a consent decree, what the commission has to do. And and so let me, let me just walk through this. Basically, the, the commission first says that th there is a narrow complaint the commission could have brought here. They say, if the commission had, had just focused on the ability of one of the employees to install LimeWire on her computer, that that 
could have allowed a narrowly drawn and easily enforceable order commanding LabMD to eliminate the possibility that employees could install unauthorized programs on their computers. So let's start there. So, so the court is saying that there actually was a potentially unfair practice here. And that's what I said to Mike Doherty the very first time I talked to him. LabMD clearly didn't have perfect data security, but there's no perfect data security. The question is that that's potentially unfair. The question is whether that the, the costs of, of maintaining that kind of system would have outweighed the benefits. So the court didn't rule on that, but they did say that was that is a potentially sufficiently specific charge. But the court says the problem is that the FTC went much broader. They go on to say that um, not only was the ability of LimeWire to be installed a problem, but also that LabMD, quote, engaged in a number of practices that taken together failed to provide reasonable and adequate security for personal information on its networks. and. And, and the court says, look, that doesn't allege specific unfair uh, acts or practices. It's just a, it's like a gestalt theory of unfairness. And the court very clearly rejects that. And, and they say the reason you know that that can't be what Congress intended is if, if that's the way the commission writes a, a, an order, think about what it will mean for the commission to enforce that order. So let's say you get a cease and desist order that says exactly what this one said, which was, that, uh, that you have to have a, a broadly adequate uh, program, right? Well, if you go into litigation with that, whether you do it at the administrative law judge phase or whether you go to a, a federal court, you're not going to have what the court says is required, which is a clear and concise factual statement sufficient to inform the, the defendant with reasonable definiteness of the types or acts of practices alleged to be a violation of the law. That's the commission's rule today. And that's where the court draws this specificity requirement. And, and they don't get it from nowhere. They actually say that this has a constitutional basis. And that's why I say that this is connected to the theme of notice that we had focused on in our amicus brief, where they say essentially that because you can have civil penalties imposed here, that that raises really serious constitutional questions. Aside from um, challenging the complaint itself, LabMD raised that issue from the beginning, talking about constitutional notice and stating that um, because the FCC had never promulgated any rules or, or any true guidance, that all these cases just in consent decrees, which admit no liability, deal solely with that one client, uh, that one defendant. Uh, how, how are they supposed to know? And I think there's a really great quote. Um, so LabMD, after the ALJ's original opinion, uh, appeal the administrative law judge's opinion. Essentially, after uh, LabMD's first round with the administrative law judge, the FTC, they appealed to the Northern District of Georgia. And under constitutional law, you can't appeal to the uh, the court until there's a final order. And so they had to go through the FTC. But So the judge ultimately had to dismiss the case because it wasn't right for review. But the judge there, William Duffy, uh, discussed this notice issue. And was very clear that the FTC was being entirely unfair. And I, I think one of the best quotes is, I think that you will admit that there are no security standards from the FTC. You kind of take them as they come and decide when someone's practice were or were not what's permissible from your eyes as they come. Uh, you ought to give them some guidance as to what you do and do not expect, what are, what is or is not required. You're a regulatory agency. I suspect you can do that. And I think that's a very clear indication that the FTC has given them no guidance. And that's exactly what 
um, the judge here in the 11th Circuit said when despite this case not itself dealing with the rule because the FTC has essentially despite because the rulemaking is so difficult uh, that they've just decided they don't have it uh, <laughs> the commission essentially said uh, that, you know we have no rulemaking authority and so the judge spent a good paragraph or two going through the fact that they do have rulemaking authority specifically said that they enforce section 5 which is the basis of all of their enforcement actions um, in case-by-case litigation and formal rulemaking. And the key there is that the FTC could all along have promulgated rules like any other agency. They could have gone through the process, even if it is a little more tedious and long, and they could have provided the guidance here, which would have given notice to LabMD, to Wyndham, to the Facebooks and Ubers, and any other company out there that's been um, you know, brought been the defendant in the enforcement action with FTC. And it raises a really serious question because if all of these consent decrees and the FTC has always claimed that those were, in effect, rules that subsequent defendants should have looked to as um, explaining what they should or should not have done, if those consent decrees were, were rules and, and the judge is saying, here, you have rulemaking authority, that's the way you should do it, it calls into question the validity of a lot of those, and particularly as to whether someone has to rely on them. The reason the rulemaking is so important is that there's a Ninth Circuit case, uh, Conservation Northwest, that was decided a few years ago, uh, dealing with the EPA, and there the EPA had essentially circumvented their rulemaking power to create a rule through consent decrees, just like the FTC is, has done here. And the judge said that you know you cannot circumvent statutorily required rulemaking. Uh, as, as a means to essentially create a rule the easy way. That if, you, if, if Congress gave you statutorily required rulemaking power, and that, then that's how you have to make rules. If it's going to affect anyone outside of the two parties and the, and the consent decree, which is essentially a settlement, then you've got to go through the statutory rulemaking. And so the FTC has, has refused to do that. And here we are now, 25 years later, uh, no guidance. So this raises some very hard legal questions because it's also true that as a general matter, administrative agencies have discretion to proceed through either rulemaking or case-by-case adjudication. So without resolving exactly where that line is, th- this decision is, I think, really brilliant because it, it, it goes about this a completely different way. It doesn't get into the question that, that Graham is asking exactly. It, it simply says, think about the enforcement tools that are available to the agency. And, and it walks through a scenario. It uses as a basis for its scenario one of the injunctive provisions that was actually in the order that the FTC wanted, which was the implementation of a comprehensive data security program that is reasonably designed to protect the personal information and is reasonably appropriate, et cetera, et cetera, for your size. The commission says, uh, or the court rather says, all right, imagine that LabMD is subject to that injunction slash consent decree and then is alleged to have violated it. What happens? LabMD is going to put up a witness that says, the commission says we should do X, but our witness says that X, whatever that is, whatever data security measure that is, is not part of a reasonably designed data security program. The commission is going to put up an expert that says, yep, of course X is part of a reasonably designed data security program. And then what's the court supposed to do? It's supposed to weigh into expert opinions. Well, the problem is, this is where the specificity thing comes in. The, the consent decree, the injunction, 
doesn't answer that question. And it is by nature then, by definition, that is not specific. In other words, the commission has not told the company specifically what it needs to do. That's what specificity means here. So the court says, well, then there are two options. Either A, the FTC loses, in which case the underlying um, consent decree was effectively invalid because there was no way to enforce it. So that's option one. And then that means that that kind of consent decree, which is the kind of consent decree that the FTC issues in every single data security case. That's what the FTC's approach is today. Option B is the court says, okay, we'll uphold that. We'll side with the FTC's expert. But but the 11th Circuit says here, if the FTC is willing, can win on that, if the court is willing to uphold that kind of requirement, there is no basis for stopping the FTC when it comes along next and says, okay, last time we said you should do X. Now we're saying you should do Y. And, and that's where we get to Graham's point. The FTC at that point is effectively engaging in regulation. And this is this to me is the most important quote from this decision, where the, the court says the practical effect of repeatedly modifying the injunction at show cause hearings, that's what I just described, is that the district court is put in the position of managing LabMD's business in accordance with the commission's wishes. It would be as if the commission was LabMD's chief executive officer and the court was its operating officer. It is self-evident that this micromanaging is beyond the scope of court oversight as contemplated by injunction law. Boom. That is devastating. You don't have to get into this analysis of when the commission should use rulemaking power and when it shouldn't. Again, some complicated legal questions. You just think through how the commission's enforcement powers work, and this is the conclusion you arrive at. That's what the commission is required to do. That's what the court means when it says require specificity. So, so just to summarize, that doesn't stop the commission from bringing any enforcement actions, but they would have to be very specific. Like, you know, you have to stop people from installing peer-to-peer file sharing software. And you have to let them know before. Yes. Right. No. Well, they, they it, need to put the public on notice before beforehand. Coming what, out what is it? What particular practice? This gets a little complicated because um, there's a distinction in fair notice law about um, it, it's a clear fair notice problem if you, for example, impose civil penalties on uh, someone for conduct that has never before been said to be illegal. But if we're talking about it happening the second time. So let's say the first time there's no civil penalty, but later there might be, that that potentially yes. could fly. And so that question is not resolved here. This decision is just really is the first decision on the merits, on the commission's use of unfairness on data security in particular, but really more generally since 1980. So it's going to raise as many questions as it answers. Then what happens next? Well, the FTC is likely to, or certainly could, ask for the full 11th Circuit to review this decision by the three-judge panel. And I should note, by the way, that this three-judge panel was a mix of uh, Clinton, Ford, and uh, George Herbert Walker Bush judges. So this is not some sort of crazy right-wing panel. Uh, But they could go to the full 11th Circuit. The full 11th Circuit is generally more Republican-leaning circuit, for whatever that's worth. That's option one. And option two is they could ask the Supreme Court to take the case. the idea that the 11th Circuit would take the case, that, that could happen. The Supreme Court is very unlikely to take the case. So, so that's option one. Uh, but whatever happens, 
This decision, of course, is only binding technically in the 11th Circuit, which is Georgia, Florida, and Alabama. But the commission is going to have to respect this more generally, and it's going to change how they operate. So I, I expect you will see them scramble to rethink their approach. I expect you will see them hold a workshop on their general approach to data security, which we've been calling for them to do for six years. They have never done that sort of thing, at least uh, not uh, since I think 2007 was the last time they looked at their data security approach. And even then they didn't ask these hard legal questions. I think you'll see them build on the informational injuries workshop that Commissioner Olhausen held last year. But the commission's going to have to get much more, if you will, specific about what specificity means, about what kind of activity they can police and how they can police it. And then uh, finally, I think you will see them ask Congress for uh, legislation here. And I hope that this framing will help because th this is not simply a case where a court said something and now we need a, a, a legislative fix. The legislation, whatever it looks like, whatever data security or for that matter privacy legislation looks like, should be informed by this. The, the Congress should understand that there are some important constitutional principles here about giving people notice and that as a general matter, the best way to address the, the problem of the unpredictability of practices and, and things that may arise as you go, and that's the question you asked me, is, is in the first instance to, to look to, to private actors. The Obama administration understood this. The 2012 Consumer Privacy Bill of Rights framework the Obama administration put out recognized there's a general matter. It's going to be standard settings bodies and uh, industry, self-regulation, and civil society that are your first layers of defense. And so I think you're going to see a lot more encouragement for industry to set codes of conduct that are appropriate to small businesses. The National Federation of Independent Business, for example, they could come up with codes of conduct that would they wouldn't answer all of these questions, but the commission would have a very easy time enforcing uh, promises to adhere to those instead of today where the commission basically decides what is reasonable and then polices it as it sees fit. So Graham, what about the policy changes that this decision um, will trigger? What about states? Do you think some politicians on state level will try to bolster privacy and cybersecurity legislation to kind of fill in the gap in case FTC cools off a little bit on enforcement? I, I would think so. Uh, I would see no reason why states looking at this wouldn't, wouldn't see an opportunity to you know, the states have their baby FTC acts. They have consumer protection agencies that, um, to a lesser extent, can do what the FTC does. So I think it's an opportunity for them to take a role and to provide some frameworks. One of the best things about the federalism in our country is that states have an opportunity to sort of be testing grounds for legislation policy that, where it works, can be brought to the federal level. Um, you know, same thing, start at the local level and build up. So I think that's a great opportunity for states to take a role, be a little more experimental. But I also think outside of the policy, I think you're going to see now that we finally have a decision, something for companies to look to, because before they had nothing, I think you're going to see would-be defendants in the future hopefully be a little more willing to be to litigate this, to actually go forward seeing that they actually have a chance at winning now. Oh, this is a game changer. I mean, companies in the past have not wanted to sue in large part because they had no case law to rely upon. This this really could open the the uh, floodgates of, uh, of defense. And that's good because it, it forces the FTC 
to do a better job justifying. I mean, the FTC may win many of those cases, but the courts will actually explain to us what the law is and, and draw some guidelines here. And you know, we always say that the Bureau of Consumer Protection at the FTC really just kind of does whatever it wants. The Bureau of Competition, they go to court all the time. They win a lot, they lose a lot, but there's a body of law that, that guides them and it, it doesn't, doesn't prevent them from uh, policing competition. It just puts some constraints upon their discretion. That's what we need on the consumer protection side of the aisle. And it's not just on data security. This decision has implications for product design, for uh, privacy, for all the other areas across so many issues, from facial recognition to, to drones that the FTC is, is trying to police. Sounds like we're entering a new era of FTC, which is exciting either way. Any final thoughts before we wrap up? I would just add, not not only is it positive to, to go to court and litigate and provide you know, guides, it's going to help consumers. Because if you can imagine all of these cases where you know Google's, Facebook, Uber's, these massive companies that everyone utilizes, when they were sued by the FTC and they went into these consent decrees, no one really knew if they actually did anything wrong or, or what specific actions they took that, that were right or what they could have done better. And now that companies are going to be able to litigate, we're going to get the idea of what exactly is right, what's wrong, what they should and should not be doing. And that's going to help them better craft consumer-friendly policies. You can look at Facebook. You know, They were under consent decree beginning, I believe, 2011. You know, If that had been litigated, if they had actually had to think through these, bring in experts, bring in witnesses – we may not have seen some of the issues that have been arising lately. And I think that's going to very much, so consumers are going to benefit from this as well. Well, you'll also see, as I said, more uh, standard setting, more of the non, non-company specific uh, regulation. Right? So regulation isn't just coming from government. It can come from uh, industry and, and, and other levels as well. And I think it's also much more likely that you'll see legislation pass. Congress has been at an impasse on this issue since the FTC asked for legislation back in 2000. This is exactly the kind of thing that may finally spur them to action. Well, I would encourage our listeners to follow our work because this year we're going to focus a lot on FTC reform and just consumer privacy issues. And we will keep you updated on any major case or important policy change. You can uh, follow Tech Freedom at Facebook and Twitter at Tech Freedom. Please leave us a review so others can find the show. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.